This show is part of the Electric Agora network of podcasts. Welcome to Culture and Value, where we discuss personal values, the cultures which formed us as individuals, and current social and cultural trends. My name is Mark English. You can write to me with feedback, or maybe you'd like to be more actively involved. You could send an audio file for consideration for inclusion in future episodes. My email address is engmar3 at gmail.com. That's E-N-G-M-A-R-3 at gmail.com. An internet friend of mine who worked as an executive for a European vehicle manufacturing company once talked about a friendship he had had with a Chinese woman who had acted as his guide and interpreter while he was working in China. This friendship gave him a new perspective on China and Chinese attitudes and indirectly on foreign policy questions. A personal friendship also changed the way I see China and cultural differences more generally, but in subtle ways which are difficult to put into words. I think perhaps the best way to convey what I want to convey is simply to tell the story or at least a few fragments of the story of my encounter with, or my encounters with a remarkable woman. Not so much of my encounters actually, but my memories of what she told me about her own life. In April 1975, Kim Il-sung, the founder and leader of the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, which we know as North Korea, visited Beijing and met with Chinese leaders, including Mao Zedong. It was a diplomatically sensitive visit, a time of great international tensions and realignments. And many of the details of the visit remain obscure. American intelligence reports noted at the time that the ceremonies associated with President Kim's welcome were more elaborate than was usual for visiting leaders. At one point, Kim was given the customary bouquet of flowers by a nine-year-old gymnast. The girl had been carefully chosen. Her father, one of Mao's generals, had played a preeminent role in the Korean War. He was a national hero within China. And this fact would no doubt have been brought to the attention of the visiting leader. 25 years later, I met that girl, then a professional woman of in her early 30s, and had many dealings and many long conversations with her. I don't want to use her real name, I'll just call her Rose. I've lost touch with her and don't know where she is or how she is. I don't know where she eventually settled or whether she returned to China or whether indeed she's still alive. The last thing I would want to do is to cause any embarrassment or trouble for her or her family, but I don't think anything I say here will do that. At the time I knew her, she'd been through a long period of stress and was in a relatively isolated and psychologically vulnerable position. There would be times when, though wanting company, 
she seemed quite shut off from everything and everyone and totally uncommunicative dark dark moods but she didn't succumb to her credit she showed great resilience enterprise and social poise venturing alone into an alien environment she successfully completed an advanced course in her area of expertise at a top western university she coped remarkably well but the stresses were were always there prior to her leaving china there had been a series of what she called noodle events her english was not too good at first the general image she conveyed was of bowls of food like the custard pies of slapstick comedy being pushed into people's faces with her doing most of the pushing how literally this was supposed to be taken i'm not sure was the term noodle event a generic term was it a direct translation of a chinese idiom i don't know at any rate rose had obviously been having problems with colleagues and was dissatisfied with her work and life in general and uh, a failed marriage about that time um, didn't help i want to emphasize however that she was not a dissident uh, she may have been personally rebellious and dissatisfied but she was not a political rebel in fact she was extremely patriotic and loyal to her country patriotic to a fault i'm tempted to say she clearly embraced at a deep level most of the values which had been instilled into her by her family and the broader community within which she she grew up she, she'd grown up though sympathetic to social democracy in a western context she didn't question the legitimacy of the political status quo the political structures of her home country since she was a general's daughter she led a privileged life but in the context of troubled times as a very small child as an infant she was sent off to some far-flung place in the country to to live for a time with peasants this was during the chaos of the cultural revolution oddly she remembered this exile from her family as a pleasant time i suspect the peasants sport her treated her like a princess but she seems to have respected and genuinely liked them she never showed any signs of snobbery or elitism as a child rose met Mao Zedong on a number of occasions um, she didn't say much about him probably she didn't remember much she was probably quite a young young child um, she did refer to his i think well-known uh, womanizing tendencies she underwent gymnastic training from a very early age and was a professional gymnast from the age of seven to the age of 14. at 14 she she had a bad fall during gymnastic training or performance i'm not sure which actually i think it was performance and her mother insisted that she withdraw immediately from all gymnastics so she went back to school she subsequently studied um, in an area of applied science and completed a university course and worked professionally in that area for at least a decade in china rose told many stories of her later childhood in beijing some of them quite harrowing 
She appeared to have a close but fraught relationship with her father and a close relationship with her older brother, with whom she used to go to karaoke places in her later teen years. She didn't drink alcohol or take drugs, and I had the impression that, you know, her friends didn't either. I don't know that. Her brother used to meet her after after school or after university. Um, and after she finished classes for the day, she'd, they'd, they'd meet up and they'd go out with, with friends. That period was obviously a very special time for her. It would have been in the early to mid-1980s. By the by, she was, she was obviously very proud of her brother's achievements in later life and those of his children. Rose's mother was an opera singer, and her mother had been a concubine in the old China. It was mainly through her maternal grandmother that Rose received her cultural education, and she was very close to her. Her grandmother's death was probably one of the things that, that de destabilised her. I, I'm speculating a bit here. Um, but, but, but she did say that after her grandmother died, she saw her on the other side of a busy street, beckoning her to cross, and she interpreted this as the grandmother inviting her to join her in death. I tell this story, personal story, but it, it's central to my understanding of who Rose was and of her deepest priorities and feelings. The memory of and love for her grandmother was essential to her. Her grandmother was an abiding presence. Christian ideas were totally foreign to Rose, but despite being raised within a revolutionary environment, she obviously retained a strong Confucian commitment to family and ancestors and also to traditional Chinese beliefs, including beliefs uh, regarding an afterlife. When I probed her about this, she was reluctant to talk, but this might have been out of delicacy or politeness. She seemed slightly embarrassed, or I think perhaps she was feigning embarrassment, as she informed me that foreign devils, as she mischievously put it, were excluded from this paradise. Due to the profound influence of her grandmother, and no doubt her mother also, Rose was deeply versed in traditional poetry and song. Once when the topic of English language courses came up, she said that she'd prefer to take an English literature course than an advanced language course. I sympathise with this approach. She was interested in poetry and the aesthetic side of language and wanted a deeper understanding of Western culture. She was interested not just in English-speaking cultures but also continental European cultures. She knew and readily sang, like uh, walking in a park, for example, she readily sang uh, traditional Chinese songs. But she also had some knowledge of and uh, a curious attachment to, no doubt due to her parents, American popular music of the 1950s particularly. Her favourite American singer was Rosemary Clooney. Also in, in, in China, in her adult years, she was involved in ballroom dancing for recreation. 
maybe competition, you know, amateur competition, I don't know. She showed me a photograph of a much older man, a former professional dancer who was her regular dancing partner. She was obviously proud of this fact and fond of him. Rose changed the way I see cultural diversity. To put it simply, I was amazed that somebody brought up in such a very different cultural environment was so relatively easy for me to relate to. There was obviously a cultural divide and much, no doubt, which I didn't understand. I may have even got some things wrong in this brief account. But our differing backgrounds did not constitute or certainly did not seem to constitute an unbridgeable divide or negate what appeared to be some deep temperamental and cultural or transcultural affinities. I have conservative tendencies in the arts, in social matters and in politics, and I recognised in this woman, brought up at the epicentre of a communist dictatorship, albeit with certain other traditional and Western influences thrown in, I recognised in her someone whose instincts and tendencies were quite similar to my own. This goes a lot deeper than ideology. Politically, I saw her as somewhat naive, but on a human level, the level that really counts. She was very astute and insightful, and she inspired, she still inspires, my respect and affection. <laughs>